0: We like to think of ourselves as free thinkers. Well, we're free thinkers, you know, but how much of it's shaped by the environment that we're around? Like, we look up to our parents and caregivers as I was scared of the word liberation because my dad warned me about that when actually pursued pursue it, well, that's just, it's quite a noble thing. Freeing someone from in- incarceration is, is quite a noble thing. But we inherit those values. And I remember when I first started to vote, well, I just voted for the same political party as my parents did because that was the default. And, and so many things, even the foods we eat, well, we eat them because they are the ones we've had as children. And so it does actually block a lot of our natural empathy. And, and sometimes when people um, start to have those individual thoughts, they're chastised and they're shut down. But I think one of the things with our society, we are actually encouraging the free thinkers, the crazy ones. We're celebrating them. And we're actually encouraging people to follow your heart. H- have a punt. It may work or it, it may not work. And that was what when I started Edgar's Mission, you know, and I, I quit my full-time paying job. I'd just taken a mortgage. I quit my full-time paying job. And um, one of my friends said, look, I'll, gi- I'll give you two years, four years max. It, 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 it won't last. And I said, well, I don't want to get to be 85 and think, what if?
1: Hi there, Veggie Mates. Welcome back to the Veg Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this week we are speaking with founder of Edgar's Mission Farm Sanctuary, Pam Ahern. A big shout out to my mum, Jane, for recommending that I reach out to Pam. We had an awesome day visiting the farm, meeting Pam and hanging out with the animals. If you are new to the show, welcome. It's awesome to have you tuning in. I've been chatting with people from around the world over the past six months or so who are really leading the way in their field. Hearing more about their personal stories, which I hope helps you to spark some more meaningful conversation, whether that be with your family and friends or even yourself. I've personally come away from each episode learning something new and gaining new perspective on a wide variety of topics. Your support has been greatly appreciated. The show recently hit a total of 20,000 listens. ...and has reached people across the globe. This is pretty cool to see as I remember clearly sitting in my apartment in Chelsea, Massachusetts... ...chatting with Anna about whether or not uh, I should start this show at all. So thank you again. I hope to continue this well into the future and continue bringing you inspiring guests from around the world. If you have already enjoyed previous episodes... ...it is really easy to help by taking a screenshot of the episode you're listening to... And also sharing that on social media. uh, And also by leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes, which only takes a minute or two. These things go such a long way in helping the show reach more people. So please tag VegTalk, that's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K, and I'll reshare those on my page. Now, let me set the scene for today's conversation with Pam Hearn from Edgar's Mission. It was a beautiful day just outside of Lancefield, Victoria. I think it was about 23 degrees, which is about 73 Fahrenheit. We were greeted by Ruby the Kelpie, who is the resident tour guide at the sanctuary. She's a beautiful dog and is up on my Instagram feed if you'd like to scroll through and have a look. We then had Millie the Goat run up to us down the driveway who was a recent addition to the Edgar's Mission family and was doing her apprenticeship under Eddie another goat at the sanctuary I'd highly recommend going to their Instagram page Edgar's Mission and checking out the animals especially Millie it'll make your day I do not doubt that at all we met Pam and she suggested the pig's barn as a good place to record so we did we walked up we took some buckets as seats looking out over the farm it was definitely a really memorable episode for many reasons, and this particular studio was very hard to beat. So with that scene set, I hope you enjoy the show. As always, I'll catch you on the other side. Alrighty, we're rolling here today. It's a beautiful day, beautiful morning out in Lancefield, Victoria. We're at Edgar's Mission Farm Sanctuary, and we're here with Pam Ahern today, so thank you very much for your time, Pam.
0: Oh, thank you, Matt. It's going to be awesome.
1: Yep, I agree. Awesome day. Great to be here. We've already hung out with some animals. We saw Millie, the new goat here at the, at the sanctuary, and she's getting taken around by Eddie. She's the <laughs> apprentice.
0: She is. That's a scary combination.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'd love to hear just a little bit about, you know, where you've come from growing up, uh, if you've always loved animals. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your childhood.
0: I have always loved animals, but if you had have asked me as a child where I'd be today, it w- it wouldn't be here. But there's a really wonderful quote, and it goes something like, "I may not go on where I've intended to go, but I think I've ended up where I needed to be," and that really does sum up my life perfectly. When I was a small child, we lived in suburban Melbourne in a little tiny house and small backyard and my folks were city folks and they weren't particularly well off but as soon as I saw a horse I, w- I wanted one of my very very own and my mum always says the worst thing you can say to Pam is you can't and it wasn't because I was one of those belligerent childs just really annoying just wanted to nee. I was a really quiet child like you really ever heard a peep out of me But um, I always wanted to, you know, just push the boundaries of what could you do? Like, what if? So the intrepid five-year-old that I was grabbed my scooter. I took the wheels off my scooter. I grabbed a pair of my mum's pantyhose and I tied a tie to each end of the pantyhose. And I straddled that over the kitchen stall and that was my horse. And I clunked it around the house for hours on end. And I think I drove my mum nuts, not having any pantyhose and all the noise I made. So she took me down to the local pony club. That's where my relationship with larger farm animals really began. I got my wish for a pony and achieved more than I could ever have possibly ever imagined. I became a very, very successful equestrian. I won national titles throughout Australia, uh, champion horse titles, living my dream, or so I thought. And then in 2003, something big happened in my life, something that was going to change absolutely everything. It wasn't so much something, as someone, and that someone was Edgar Allan Pig, and he tugged me in the direction that I ultimately needed to be. As I, I loved cats and dogs. All the neighbourhood stray would always follow me home. I became a foster carer for cats and dogs and would rehabilitate them. I was involved in wildlife rescue. And even when we actually did make the move to the country because of the horses, the local pound would take the cats and dogs down to the tip and they would just be shot. That was how they, they dealt with uh, cats and dogs when they were no longer wanted in the community and so my mum and I actually set up the Central Highlands Animal Shelter we would take the cats and dogs from the local tip and we would have them de-sexed at our own cost and try and find homes for them and that was that was going quite well. We funded it all ourselves. This is before GoFundMe, uh, social yep. media, internet. Or anything. It was quite funny. The uh, the notices we used to put up in the in the community to try and find homes for the cats and dogs were just a four pieces of paper. I got um, pictures I'd cut out of magazines of cats and dogs and stick them on that with the little tear off strips with your phone number. That's how I rehomed the cats and the cats and dogs. And I remember red tape came along. We had to, sh- to shut the cat and dog sanctuary. It was the worst day of my life. It was the worst day of my life. I thought, you know, how am I going to go on like these cats and dogs what's going to happen to them and save a dog scheme from Melbourne they came along and 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 took the dogs so the dogs weren't going to be euthanized and uh, a lovely lady who was actually helping at the time with the cat she started a a cat shelter and she took the cats then not long after that was when the opportunity for Edgar came into my world but I'll just go back a a step there and interlude about (laughs) um, how how I became a vegan and I actually it was Looking at ways to help animals, always looking at ways to help animals and trying to find out you know how can I better their world and there was something in the paper about you could send away for a list of cosmetics that weren't tested on animals. I thought well well that's that's really cool like that's a really easy way I could be be kind to animals and make a difference in the world. So I got the list and it would get updated every so often because companies changed hands and new policies had come along and one time the list came out and had a little tiny ad in it for an anti fur rally in Melbourne fur is Like we, we don't need to wear fur so i rang up about the rally and the conversation that followed actually became the foundation of my advocacy uh, i said to the lady at the end of the phone look i'd really like to come along to to the anti-fur rally but but i eat meat you know is that okay and she said to me look that's fine she said it's not so much what's on your plate it's how it gets and i really want you to think about that you know you love animals will you think about that for me I said yeah so we can come along to the rally. And she said no you, you, you know, his you, murder. You, you, you can't come until, you, till, you know, you, you stop eating animals. So I, I went along to the rally, really curious, wearing my woolen skirt and leather shoes and leather belt. And as I said, I was a very, very shy person. I was listening to all the conversations that were buzzing around me. And they started talking about animal liberation. popped up a few times. I, thought, oh. I was a bit scared of the word liberation because my dad warned me about, you know, the communists, the terrorists, the wackos, li- they're the bad people. But I had an animal in front, so I was curious. So I got hold of the book. And I wasn't really very far into the book. And Peter Singer was talking about a time when he went to England and some mutual friends took him to the RSPCA because they share the mutual love of animals. And they were getting off fine. And it came time for afternoon tea. And they served ham sandwiches. And Peter Singer thought, well, that's odd. And I thought, well, he's got a point. Here I am championing the cause of animals, eating them, and expecting people to take me seriously. So overnight, I became a vengeance. This was 30 years ago. I was a vegan. It wasn't a very good one because I ran into someone down the track and said the word is actually vegan. You have been pronouncing <laughs> it wrong all that time. That's how isolated I was. The only non-dairy milk you could get was this powdered stuff. It came in a box. You mixed it up with water. It tasted absolutely dis- disgusting. It was horrid. But there was no way I was going back because I knew what dairy meant to a mother cow. And as much as I loved milk... That mother cow loved her baby many, many times more, and and I just didn't want to be a part of that. I remember my mum and I raced out and bought tofu because that was what good vegans ate. It was disgusting. We ate it raw. (laughs) There was just no mechanisms in place for us to live (laughs) and have lovely food, like where was cooking with kindness when you needed it. Um, (laughs) But we weren't going back, and slowly we, we learnt to cook vegan food. We even learnt how to pronounce it. Now, in 2019, fast forward about 30 years, I can go to the local supermarket in our town of Lanceville, population 1,204. Probably actually, there no, were a few more people today who we'll have to correct that. Uh, local supermarket, we can buy. Four or five different varieties of, of milk, soy milk, rice milk, oat milk, macadamia milk. You can get vegan ice cream. You can get vegetarian burgers that are act actually vegan in our supermarket. Cross the road, you can go to a cafe that actually says vegan options. Down the road, you go to the little corner milk bar that says they sell vegan pies and sausage rolls. It's awesome how times are changing. And that is all because people are starting to make connections. To make connections and so that's what I want to do is actually help people make those connections.
1: Beautiful. It is really cool to go to small towns around Australia. We've been surprised because we've been to a few already. We drove home from Adelaide to Melbourne, stopped in a few small towns along the way and yeah, you go to the local IGA. Yeah. And you see vegan burgers, vegan sausages.
0: It's so cool. There's
1: like a little stand with tofu and Yeah,
0: they're uh, proud of it. Yeah, yeah, other
1: products like that. I've even seen some uh, some vegan cheeses and yes. and stuff yes. like that. So it's I think mum we were in Harndorf in in South Australia and mum's like this has better options than our local <laughs> um our local grocery store. So um it's it's amazing to see and yeah, I think more people are making the connections and it's driving uh, yeah. the demand there's and, more of us out there and the interest <laughs> exactly yeah i want to go back to um firstly the rescuing of dogs and cats so you know you were a young girl at this point yeah bringing bringing dogs and cats home what did your parents think about that at the time
0: my mum was a passionate animal lover Re- really loved cats Re- really loved cats and my dad loved loved animals as well. My dad was involved in, in the law, um, and I think the marriage of those two values. If you care about animals and you care about justice, where's that going to take you? Like, where's that going to take you? I was destined to be uh, be where I've come today, even though um, they mightn't have shared my, my values. Particularly my dad thought I was a little bit extreme, uh, but he always um, supported me and challenged me I remember one time I was at a restaurant I was coming out with my profound pearls of wisdom and he said to me oh, I said something like, everybody knows that and he said have you asked that man over there I said, well, no I hadn't so it taught me about credibility like when you say something make sure you have your facts right and I think when we're talking about the things that happen to animals I don't think we have to exaggerate like I don't think we have to go to the extreme brutality, uh, uh, the egregious things that are outside the law. I think the a lot of the legal stuff is what we need to challenge, because that will always be egregious. The really, really bad stuff. I think it's the way we're treating animals today that we that we need to look at. And so back back to the cats and dogs thing. Um, I think when we moved to the country, because we filled that void, there was nothing nothing for the for these animals. They they were being shot in a society that um <coughs> excuse me di- didn't. Realise that there was there were other options. I, I, I love the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. I often tell it to children when we have uh, school talks and things like that, actually. Having the courage to actually speak up and say, because once we started the the animal shelter, people came and wanted to help and, and volunteer and, and work the dogs. So there was someone actually driving change and people pushing them outside their comfort zone. Because I really do believe in the goodness of the human heart. I really do believe that we as a species are... Programmed to care from an evolutionary point of view, it's what actually got us here today. like realizing it makes sense to, to live in groups, to care about one another, that that collective goodness will actually drive us further. And actually I think now at a huge point in the evolution of our species, we can evolve to be the best that we could possibly ever be by extending our circle of compassion to a chicken, a chicken. Imagine all the other things we're going to pick up along the run-through. And, and when I was actually looking at the advocacy that I would take, one of the first things I actually focused on was anti-vivisection because I remember one of the times when I would go into c- the city, I saw a, a huge billboard of this cat. It was a black and white cat. I closed my eyes and I see this poor cat staring back at me saying, what are you doing to help me? It had these electrodes in, in the brain and it had a word. Underneath, this is vivisection. what's 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 vivisection ruby (laughs) that's ruby folks (laughs) Uh, i asked my mum, you know what was vivisection she said oh it's where we experiment on animals and i said well look really cool like this poor cat it could be one of our cats She goes, oh well you know we have to do it to find cures for human diseases and how have we told those things like it's the way it it is and then so i thought this is really cool i don't want people doing this to cats so i started working on anti vivisection campaigns and i found you just kept running up against brick wall brick wall you know it's your baby or the dog it's your baby or the dog and how you know can i get that one i wasn't a scientist i wasn't a doctor and i actually started to look into it more and i found a lot of the diseases that humans were suffering were actually diet related so i thought hang on let's cut out the middleman here let's actually go and and look at the dietary choices and and what is the basis of our dietary choices animals. I loved animals. I remember when I'd be going into the interstate uh, royal agricultural shows, everybody um, had <coughs> an evening they'd go down to the to the horseman's bar or go off and do something and they'd get a really shy kid. I would be wandering into the cow pavilion and the sheep pavilion and the pig pavilion and the chicken pavilion, learning about these animals and really was fascinated by them. I was seeing things that people walking past are not seeing. And always, you know, <coughs> excuse me, looking to do more with our style of advocacy. So I went to the fur rally and then I actually hooked up with a local um, group from Ballarat called BOR, the Ballarat Organization for Animal Rights. And it was in 2003. And I think one of the things that makes our, uh, our country so damn awesome is that the laws in this country, they reflect public thought. They don't drive it. So we... As individuals have the power to change the laws. It's an evolving process. It's not carved in stone. Like Laws can change. And I remember as a child growing up, we never ever wore seatbelts. We wouldn't just top of the car. It wasn't we were rebel rousers or naughty people. Didn't have seatbelts. Had a lot of people getting killed in car accidents. Society said there's a better way of doing things. Let's make seatbelts mandatory. They made seatbelts mandatory. You wouldn't get in a car today and drive without a seatbelt. I'm alive today because not long after I got my driver's license, I rolled the car wrote the car off, walked away with a broken fingernail. A seatbelt saved my life. So when we change our laws to reflect kinder ways of thinking, better ways of thinking, more informed ways of thinking, lives can be saved. You know, we can make it a a better world to live in. 2003, code of practice for pig farming was up for review. When I grew up, like most people, I took great comfort our society cared about animals. We've got, we have enshrined it in legislation the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. Now, most people take great comfort that animals are protected by this law. What most people don't realise is that when it comes to animals, some animals are more equal than others. We have these things called codes of practice. For every species of animal who is farmed for food or fibre, a code of practice circumvents our Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act but also circumvents ethical thought. And in doing so, it's allowed these practices to continue. <laughs> that was Ruby.
1: We're here with Ruby uh, today. She's yeah, but uh, Ruby. the tour guide.
0: <laughs> and she's just doing some sound effects. <laughs> that's Ruby, not me. Uh, and in yeah, 2003, code of Practice for Pig Farming was up for real. I thought This is great. Let's, let's let the public know what's happening to pigs right here, right now on our watch. And as the universe was kind to us on the day, James Cromwell, who played Farmer Hoggart, was in Australia at the time. We thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we get in touch with James and he could help garner media attention james couldn't do enough to help us he's the most awesome man he's just so incredibly kind does a lot of work in america for animal groups but also for um people as well which just goes to shows caring for animals and caring for people is not mutually exclusive so james wanted to help us uh one of the leading newspapers wanted a picture of james and a pig easy deal we approached one of the children's farm to get a picture of james and the pig and I had a bit of a problem with children's farms. that I don't think they're particularly honest with children about the, the animals. They always have a proliferation of baby animals there. And where do they go? If you have a look at their menu, there's a little bit of a hint what, what happens to those animals. But the children aren't aware of what's happening. And the children's farm said, look, you can have a picture of James and the pig, but it will cost you $150. And I said, well, pigs, I didn't have $150, but I did live in the country and I thought it would be pretty cool to have a pig. So enter Edgar Allan Pig. And honestly, that that day, I was so excited. If if you're listening now, like you can hear the smile in my voice. (laughs) Like if you've got a cat or a dog at home and you love that cat or dog, times it by a zillion, put it on steroids, and you are coming nearly to how much I was just besotted with Edgar. And I often think, what if he had been this grumpy, horrible pig who we didn't get on? But that wasn't to be. So um, it was quite funny. We got Edgar the day before the photo shoot and he'd come from a pig farm he was covered in pig poop and my mum and I were mainly trying to wash him clean to get him ready for the photo shoot the next day and I learned a lot more about pigs that night and when they actually get upset they fart and he was farting the house down he was doing his someone's girl the pig routine and as soon as you stop he'd go oh, okay now and it was so funny he cracked me up um didn't particularly like me he actually fell in love with my little dog E.T. So the next day for the photo shoot, I prepped him up. I had his little um, harness on and I put him in the pet carrier and we drove down to the location and we wheeled him down the street, my friend and I. We we got into the front lawn. We opened the carrier and we clipped the lead on and we walked out the back because Edgar just followed ET everywhere. And the journalist and James were just, wow, you've had this pig like less than 24 hours. You've taught her to walk on a lead. Like you're the pig master, girl. (laughs) Um, This has gone so well, the photo shoot. Let's do an action on the steps of Parliament House, you know, in 10 days' time and james can walk up the steps of parliament house and call on the agricultural minister for a better deal for pigs we go yeah that'll be awesome oh my gosh now i really have to teach the pig to walk on a lead so pigs are so smart they are so so smart people will tell you that you know the fire is hot but until you put your hand in you don't know how hot and that is so true for pigs Like you you hear that they're intelligent but oh my gosh they are so intelligent and then they're actually incredibly clean but we'll come to that later so uh, I went down to the local park with my little doggy e. T and my little piggy on the other side, and we were we we're walking, and people just stopping their cars, coming racing over to the park, and they're, oh my god, what's a pig? And they're going, yeah, what's the go with the pig? And they're rubbing his tummy, he's going, Goo, go 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 go, then he flop on his side. and They go, oh my gosh, pig! Like, what are you doing? He's, he's awesome! He's so awesome! What's his name? Ed and pig. They go, oh, that's an awesome name. And it gave me an opportunity to tell people what we were doing. I could speak to their heads, but Edgar spoke to their heart and change was profound like some people were drawn to oh my god he's like my dog he's smarter than my dog and he's so clean and that got me thinking that the best ambassadors the very very best ambassadors for changing the way people view the animals who are farmed for food and fiber are the animals themselves and that's where Edgar's mission came to be to to give sanctuary to the animals that we can and to give voice to the ones that we cannot and that, that was how the sanctuary started
1: that's amazing yeah what an amazing pig
0: absolutely he has that's him over there on the wall you can't see this folks but if you can just imagine the most handsome pig you've ever ever seen that's him <laughs>
1: yeah is he the, he's also the one out the front right yes. yeah that's yep. right yeah he passed the statue away. Yep. yeah
0: the other section. we we brought him with us
1: yeah that's beautiful yeah um with edgar as he got older Were you still, you know, taking him for walks and (laughs) introducing him to people?
0: He actually didn't. He didn't do a hell of a lot of of outreach. It's quite funny. People say, oh, I met Edgar such and such." Edgar actually didn't do a lot because there was no roadmap for what we were doing. You know, I was just making it up as I went along. Uh, And we actually got invited to um, Parliament House in Sydney to take Ed, Edgar up there and to do an action up at Parliament House in Sydney. So it was quite funny. We um, went to, to Bay and we stayed there overnight and then we went to um, Parliament House in Sydney the next day and Edgar <laughs> fell asleep. Oh, I mean, this is such a funny story. Um, Parliament House in Sydney is right on Macquarie Street. It's, it's really close to the busy traffic. Unlike the steps of Parliament House, I walked up in Melbourne. It's way, you know, it's at the top of, um, was it Spring Street there and you've got all these steps. It's, it's really had a lot of clearance from the road. But Sydney's was like right, right Right on the road. And a very narrow entranceway. And Edgar decided to go to sleep in the middle of the, the gateway. And when Edgar goes to sleep, he would, like, go. <laughs> and he wasn't getting up till he was ready. And when you hear the expression pig-headed, it's really well-named. And there's a, a gorgeous photo that um, Reuters took of this big belly security guard. He came over and he's standing. arms am going, I miss you. you know, got to move the pig. And I'm going, but but I can't. He doesn't want to move. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to wait till, till Edgar wanted to move. And the politicians were coming and having to step over the snoring. Edgar, what's the thing doing there? And smiling on the run through. And I think even when you smile, your mind opens. Y- your mind opens. And that, again, was, was something I was thinking about. Is actually creating change for these animals in a positive, engaging way is when people smile and they want to know more. They were asking me more about Edgar's Mission when people come to the sanctuary. Like, tell me more. Like, what's that thing over there? You've made a mountain for goats? What well, goats like to climb? You have a village for chickens? Yeah, well, chickens, they all like their own houses. You know, they, they you know, have, have friends. And sometimes, you know, Cheeky Boy goes and steals everyone else's hens. And it's, it's quite funny. There's a few love triangles going on. And it's really, it's really awesome. These animals telling their stories is, is so easy and it's so beautiful.
1: So getting into that. Having animals as the, you know, the very individuals that are you know, getting into the hearts of people and telling their own stories by just being, how did the, the sanctuary grow?
0: It literally grew like Ed, Edgar. I'm actually so glad I got a small pig because I hadn't really had anything to do. And I, I could imagine if someone came along and saw Edgar, he was like nearly 500 kilos, his huge pig. And he, he just grew. So actually I got to learn with him and it serves me well now when I deal with the other pigs that we have. But um, back to ha- how did it grow? It was actually just through actually wanting to save animals and seeing the impact it had on animals. And I didn't even think about having visitors to the sanctuary. I think there was a busload of people one day in Kilmore and wherever they were supposed to go wasn't open. And they heard someone said, "I'll call Edgar's Mission. And they came, oh yeah, come and have a look. And watching people come to the sanctuary and and watching them meet the animals. And then so the tours started happening. And so that, that idea grew. And then somehow I got asked to go and do a school talk and then that went really well. So all these other arms started growing, and things were working, and actually planning. And then I, when I started, I was never going to rehome an animal. I was never going to have staff or volunteers. Going to do it all myself. Going to be a real martyr. Um, going to fund it all myself. And then I woke up. That's not going to work. Like the, if you want to have the best impact for animals, you've actually got to step outside your comfort zone. And it was really hard taking donations. You know, my dad was very, very adamant he was i often think he was the meanest dad but bless your dad you honestly you had such a profound impact on me that you work for everything you got like you you didn't if we didn't afford don't even have a credit card today if you can't afford it you don't have it Uh, and so i've worked very hard for everything i got and i felt awkward asking for money but when i would actually go and do outreach people would come and go oh he's some money, like you'd go and save the pigs, and that actually caused me to put a donation box on the table because I didn't want to even put a donation box on the table because I didn't want to make people feel awkward. I think it's actually how you make people feel. But I also felt really dodgy putting it in my pocket, even though they'd go for animals, but I had nowhere else to put it, I had to put the money in my pocket. So. <laughs> um, and then actually, I realized how much it meant for people to help. And I thought that's actually really unfair of me to, to not allow people to help. Like lots of people want to do what we're doing here at Edgar's Mission but don't have the time or the skills to do it or aren't probably crazy enough. Um, but by supporting the work that we do, they're doing it. They're, they're living this. So that's sort of how we started to grow. And Very then cool. we outgrew the other sanctuary <laughs> and like really, was a sanctuary ever going to be successful in a town called Kilmore? You know, come on, <laughs> we had <Right>. to move. <laughs> not a, not a great name for,
1: <laughs> for a place where you're looking to, you know, help animals that are abused and, and homeless. So.
0: Yeah. I actually wanted one day on, on the 1st of April to, to talk down to local town and actually change it to kill nothing. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'll do that one day. We'll get to the, we'll get to the <laughs>
1: local council there. <laughs> that could be a a good name change yeah (laughs) um so as as you're growing and you know you you are bringing more animals in have you got any stories in mind or uh times where you would you know bring people in maybe they not necessarily not necessarily knew exactly what they were coming to and maybe they've left with a completely new perception of of, of farmed animals
0: so so many times we, we do that, we change, open, I like to say open, I think change because I, I believe hearts are good, uh, you know, open people's minds and their hearts by telling the stories and, and in Australia we have this romantic notion of dairy, it's, it's wholesome and it, it's good and it's, it's, it's kind and it's bucolic, the cow in the field with the calf and, and everything and then we tell them the story of Clarabelle and, and Valentine and Clarabelle was a dairy cow who was on her way to the abattoir to be slaughtered and she got approved. She came here to Edgar's mission. She was pregnant. She got to give birth to her baby here at the sanctuary. And it was really interesting. We rescued two dairy cows at the time and there was Daphne. God bless Daphne. She's, she's passed on now. But Daphne was this big Frisian Holstein black and white girl. Typical one when you think of a, of a dairy cow. And she um, gave birth on Australia Day. So, of course, we called her baby Ozzy. And she was very, very gentle and kind, and the day she gave birth, everyone goes, oh, quick, you know, Daphne's giving birth to her baby, so we sort of raced out there, you know, with the, with the hot water and the cigars, you know, and take photos and everything, and as soon as we took one step in the paddy, she's just gone, ah, and she started pouring the ground, and like, it was like this Godzilla of cow, was like, you know, go ahead, make my day. We go, okay, quick, grab the long lens. She didn't want a baby taken away. She did not want a baby taken away. Um, then little Clarabelle, the jersey with the big doe eyes. This is the story that gets to me be because these two are still with us today. Um, just over here, she she gave birth. And Clarabelle's this really lovely little sweet jersey. And she's always first for food, always first for food. And then getting nearer time, wasn't quite a time, but getting nearer time, she was last, getting slower. Oh, maybe she's, you know, the baby's getting heavier. She's trudging up there. And she'd be looking back. and thought, Oh, yeah, she must be, you know, not far off. And then one day I noticed one teat, just one teat was engorged. La, 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 la and so i followed her back to the forest and there, blinking at me wasn't a newborn calf she was four or five days old she'd been walking around umbilical cord was dry everything she'd given birth to her baby and she'd stashed her in the forest this is incredible so i had to go back and you know tell tell all the guys here you know, so come back we go back the calf's gone she's moved the calf and she did this every day she'd move the calf to a different spot and we thought we, we've got to film this we've got to show people this is incredible so kyle came down he does all our videos and we, we made this video called finding valentine and <laughs> this, is, this is so funny i've really made a fool of myself this day where i'm sort of you know doing looking for the calf, and kyle's going okay look we've got enough footage just just go and get the calf. I said, actually kyle i can't find the calf. this is and it's on our, our side road they said someone's jumped the fence and stolen the calf because i'll oh, come on so well, where is she? She, she she's not here like I can't find her. I was really getting a panic, like how could someone come and steal our baby calf? So we get the get the staff and we forensically start to sweep the paddock and there, in this little stand of trees in the middle with a tiny tuft of grass. There's this little baby calf blinking at us going, well I've been here the whole time. <laughs> She'd moved to there. She knew that the forest was gone. We found her all the time so she moved and then we said, okay. We, we didn't bother trying to find her after that. It was just such, and, and people, oh my gosh, they you know, mothers, you know, they know how much they love their babies and today Valentine's bigger than Clarival but they're still together they mutually groom they love one another and I think that tells the story best about why I don't drink milk
1: for sure it, it, so those those two stories you told uh, the mothers mm. were they were, they were previous dairy cows they
0: were previous dairy cows yeah so they'd, they'd uh started not producing enough milk to make them economically valuable or viable for the farmer. So they were being trucked off to slaughter pregnant. And,
1: and they've gone through the process of having their babies ripped away from them. Yes. And you know that when that happens time and time again
0: Yeah, why would this time be any different?
1: You get the action that yeah. they've that they've gone and Yes, you know, looked after their babies by putting them in a spot that yeah. They're not going to be found. It's quite yeah. amazing.
0: It's, it's incredible. And you often hear, you know, in moments of honesty, people who work on dairy farms will tell you, that, you know, the worst days when they have to separate those mothers and their babies. And and there's one lady I spoke to who actually worked on a dairy farm and she loved animals. A poor lady. She, she was really tortured about what happened there. And she said they used to pick them up on those little vehicles that drive along. She they even remember the sound of that particular vehicle that took their baby. And they would run up after it trying to... What what does that do to the people who have to do that? What what does it what does it do to them? Like, what mechanisms can they put in place to cope with what they're doing? The only thing is to shut down and to start to not care. You know, we've even found um, in slaughterhouse workers this condition called pits. It literally is the pits. You know, um, perpetrator-induced traumatic syndrome of people who are actually forced to commit violent acts on other living beings. They found like people who'd fought in wars. We had to actually kill other people we were coming back with, with these conditions. And this is terrible. This is what we're actually doing to people in our society. We're paying people to, to do this. And no wonder people end up with so many traumatic um, syndromes, you know, working in these facilities. It's terrible we, we do this. Absolutely. I, I never knew. I, I never knew.
1: No, it's, uh, you know, we often think of veganism as something that is solely about animals. It goes a lot deeper than that. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're, absolutely. We're caring. We're we're thinking. We're extending our compassion to people that are put in those situations where they might be finding it hard to get a job, and yes. the only jobs out there are the ones in slaughterhouses or abattoirs. Yeah, uh, and, and, they and go even through a lot that.
0: of farmers, like they're they're not, um, you know, they might be fought for fifth generation farmers, and their family have done it. Yep. And they've grown up, and it takes a really courageous person to to step outside and say, "I'm not going to be a part of this." anymore and I think we have to give them compassion and courage as well not demonize them and I know that's really really hard because it you know it, it breaks my heart what's happening to animals right here right now on our watch and I just I just want it to stop but I and it's one of the things actually with, with um it Ed, gives admission to we never tell people what to do or what not to do we never say like you should you shouldn't we never say you shouldn't eat meat because that that's what i believe and and if i tell you to do something because i believe it you're not necessarily going to live it it's it's like me and that dodgy you know that soy milk that i I was getting down like i believed it so i kept doing it and that was my thing like how am i going to other people do this they're not going to have the commitment of me but if you believe it in your heart of hearts you will live it and i think our case is so strong with with what we're doing to animals connecting people's hearts and minds if we can help them on that journey to make those connections they will live it and now the great thing is there's so much support to do it like you can get vegan mentors you can get awesome vegan cookbooks you can uh go to awesome vegan restaurants there's there's so many support mechanisms out there to to live happy and healthy lives
1: yeah I, I, if, you, if you're eating raw tofu on the regular you are feeling it in your heart of hearts there is there is no doubt about that when you said that i was like man this woman definitely (laughs) had she had that feeling that she was not going back because that says it all raw tofu i i don't think i've done it i don't think (laughs) i don't think i will i like the you know the perspective of you know not forcing it on another person letting them get to it themselves You spoke about going to schools um, earlier in the podcast. Yes. How do you approach that with younger kids and going to speak to them?
0: That's a, that's a really interesting And it's been very, very hard getting into schools because I think a lot of schools are, are scared. Uh, we may brainwash the children, heaven forbid, or give them an individual thought. Um, and it's really been through through word of mouth. And I've actually heard teachers, I'll be sitting nervous in the background, thinking, oh, what's she going to show? Are you going to go to your slaughter, slaughterhouse? Awful? I, get, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the awful images. I don't want to see that. Because even when you think about like you start to cringe when you see that. You cringe, your, your mind shuts down and you can actually repel people I want to be invited back I want to start these conversations with the schools and it's quite fun when I actually go to the schools I say to the kids okay now your teachers tell me that you're really really smart they tell me that I can't put anything over on you you know you might be young but you're pretty switched on kids so I'm gonna say something to you that probably not many people are gonna to say to you I'm actually gonna ask you not to believe a word I say to you today don't believe a word I say to you today ask yourself does it make sense and if it makes sense to you, great, run with it. And if it doesn't, you've just got an hour out of class. So either way, you're going to win, kids. Just <laughs> listen, listen up. And then I actually start, my um, go, go through the evolution of, of, our, of our species and how we've got to where we are. I talk about how we started to domesticate these animals, how we irrevocably changed their lives, and particularly with these domestic species of animals, how they're, they're far removed from their wild cousins. And along with doing that comes an enormous duty. And I don't think we've honoured it very well. So how can we start to make it right? And I appeal to, to compassion. We talk about the, the cost. Where, you know, who, who pays for what you buy? Well, of course we pay. We don't want to encourage people to shoplift. But there are other, other consequences there. Like is it fair trade? Is it organic? How has that person been treated who produced your whatever? What about the environment? The environment pays an enormous price for what we buy. We pay an enormous price in terms of our human health. Put good things into your body? Great. Not so good things? Not so good. And of course... My animal friends, well they pay the ultimate price for what we buy. So think about that and ask yourself this very, very simple, life defining question. If we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others, why wouldn't we? What compelling reason do we have in this day and age to cause harm to other sentient beings?
1: Fantastic message. I love that it's down the down the driveway as you come down to the barn. That exact message is, is written along the wall.
0: And you have to read it. It's not written in one big thing. You yep. And that, that dirt, dirt. Yep. And it's, I think it's like, and when I say I, I don't want to tell people what to do or what not to do, because I think when you actually start to actually make those connections in your brain, like it, it's like a river. You know, when the water starts to flow and the river hasn't flowed for years, it's got to find a path. And the more the water flows, the more the river becomes established. And the more we actually start thinking and making these connections, rather than someone telling you, you're actually reading those words, you're thinking, you're starting to develop a pathway in your brain.
1: So I read a story on your blog about younger days and, and a snake that, um, you know, growing up in the country, obviously snakes, are they pose a bit of a threat to us here in Australia. If you are living in, in country or rural areas, uh, we've got a lot of poisonous snakes in Australia. I can understand, you know, exactly where you were coming from, where um, you're scared and, and you're taught to to go and get an adult or to, to deal with it in a way that ends in, you know, them being killed. Somewhere throughout the blog post, you asked the question, are we thinking for ourselves? Yes. Um. What do you make of... I suppose, where we were kind of going there with, you know, society shaping oh, a lot absolutely. of our thoughts and maybe blocking that river that you were talking about.
0: Absolutely. And when it's one of the, the things, you know, when I talk to, to school students as well or any groups, like, you know, it, we like to think of ourselves as free thinkers. Well, we're free thinkers, you know, but how much of it's shaped by the environment that we're around? Like we look up to our parents and caregivers as I was scared of the word liberation because my dad warned me about that. But when actually pursued pursue it, well, it's, actually, it's quite a noble thing. Freeing someone from in- incarceration is, is quite a noble thing. But we inherit those values. And I remember when I first started to vote, well, I just voted for the same political party as my parents did because that was the default. And, and so many even the foods we eat, well, we eat them because they are the ones we've had as children. And so it does actually block a lot of our natural empathy. And, and sometimes when people um, start to have those individual thoughts, they're chastised and they're shut down. But I think one of the things with our society, we are actually encouraging the free thinkers, the crazy ones. We're celebrating them. And we're actually encouraging people to follow your heart. H- have a punt. It may work or it, it may not work. And that was what, when I started Edgar's Mission, you know, and I, I quit my full-time paying job. I'd just taken a mortgage. I quit my full-time paying job. And um, one of my friends said, look, I'll, gi- I'll give you two years, four years max. It, 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 it won't last. And I said, well, I don't want to get to be 85 and think, what if? I want to try it. Like, I want to give it a go. And if it doesn't work and if it goes belly up, I can always go back and get a job somewhere. Like, I'm I'm young enough. Um, I wanted to to push those boundaries. And that little five-year-old kid that just was saying, you know, what if I try this? And I really appeal people to actually, you know, challenge the beliefs that you've inherited from others and not really thought that much about because we are so we are so indoctrinated we don't even realize it you know magazines and social media and so many things you know we we celebrate people because they wear a certain brand of clothes or they're a great tennis player and they they're cool things but we don't have to be them
1: Yep agreed <laughs> I I've you know that's uh, I think it's a great it's a great thing to just start thinking about the the question why has helped me a lot you know just start questioning things like okay you know dairy why are we drinking it
0: yeah, exactly it's a great but
1: place to start
0: it's a really good place you are know, the only species that drinks milk beyond infancy and we actually lost the the gene to do it years ago and so we have so many people lactose intolerant and then you know people getting sick and that was what i was finding out when i was looking at you know human health and, and the vivisection thing like actually we're actually making ourselves sick because We've always done it that way. You know, one of the quotes on, on our kindness trial that meanders around the farm, we've got quotes, um, folks, from some of the finest human minds, not necessarily animal quotes. They're there to inspire people, challenge people, some to make you laugh. But there, there's one that says that you know, the most dangerous uh, words in the English language is it's always been done that way. And you know, how often? Well, it's always been done that way. We've always done that way. Well, chances are we probably haven't always done it that way. It's been, you know, happened in the last you know a couple of hundred or, or even thousand years. We haven't always done it that way. But we have been kind and i think you know I just come back to that universally accepted principle of kindness of goodness of, of caring the capacity to care i think is our most noble and honest trait
1: yeah i yeah i love that i think coming back to it it's a good feeling it feels yeah. good. It,
0: it floods us with oxytocin, and so this is actually the other thing. Like you know, when you're in that state of feeling positive and good, you're more likely to do good things. You know, when, when you feel down or shamed or belittled, you shut down. and flood, flood your body with ne- negative chemicals, and it doesn't make you want to actually go out and explore and challenge. So I think it's it's actually getting people in the positive states. And you know, when you walked in the sanctuary, like the first thing you see is our chicken village. It's color wow you say wow your face opens your mind opens tell me more it's just getting people in in that good spot that sweet spot so you'd be more likely to do good things and not necessarily for animals for yourself for for your neighbor because we're you know we like to think we're so apart from animals but we are a part of the animal kingdom we're a part of it not apart from it
1: we are an animal we are we you know that's i think that's what's so powerful about a sanctuary is that you're able to have that connection. So, you know, you might come here and you might've had sausages for dinner the night before. It's completely possible. You meet a pig and you have a connection with the pig and you see that they're, you know, acting similar to maybe other animals that you're used to having around the house. Mm -hmm. That's when we're able to start seeing the animals for what they are and make changes in our life and yeah, become more compassionate people. So. This is the place to come if you are listening and you haven't been to a sanctuary before. I highly recommend looking up a local one uh wherever you may be and and just going and and checking out the animals, saying hello and yeah, it's a, it's an experience you won't regret, that's for sure. I want to get into more Australia specific stuff uh now. Uh we spoke about it briefly before, but you know, often it could be at a, a cube of truth or Uh, It might be a screening of a movie. And uh, let's say we're in America and we're showing Australian footage. The Americans will say, oh, but that's, you know, that's from Australia and vice versa. If we're in, if we're in Australia and it's from England, oh, but that's in the, you know, that's in the UK. We have a very high standard of animal welfare here in Australia. We don't, we don't actually do that. What do you have to say about, that and what shifts are we making to to make uh the public more aware of exactly what does go on in our country
0: we have a lot of activism happening in in australia and a lot in particular in victoria which which is really awesome we have those tubes of truth which people come across quite often we have vigils um, we have the Save movement which has lots of events down in the heart of melbourne so people walking past see these things and all the footage that they're showing at these things are australian footage australia have had this romantic notion it doesn't happen here and it's only just because it hasn't been found out that it happens here and if you see that lovely cow in the paddock something quite nasty happens between that cow in the paddock and that piece of steak on your plate and it never ends well for the cow um, and again, we actually touched on earlier about, you know, when I mentioned about the, the egregious things like actually the, um, the incorrect stunning or, or, the, or the poor slaughter methods or, you know, a downed animal or something, like that. They're, they're bad that's and and farmers will say that's bad industry will say that's bad i think it's the fact that we're actually taking the lives of these other sentient beings and we really want people to start to think about that and that happens in in any country that are consuming animals for food is actually you are taking the life of that animal an animal who wants to live you're not doing it on on humane grounds i remember when i got edgar i was looking up how long is this animal going to live well six months six months no, he's got to live longer than six months. Well, they kill them at six months. Yeah, okay. But what if you don't kill it? Well, why would you not kill him? Like, this is, I couldn't go to bed that night until I actually found out how long my pig could actually live with me um, because it was just such a, a novel thing at the time for actually a pig as, as a domestic pet or companion animal. Yet now lots of people are having them as, as pets and companion animals, but that even has its downside as well. Uh, but people actually seeing them in a different light. When I got my first female pigs, They were never spayed. They just didn't know how to spay them. And now when we get the piglets coming, the females, they're spaying them because more people are having these animals. And it's great that actually vets now are seeing these animals being treated alongside a puppy and, and a kitten. And our vets are actually you know coming on board with this journey seeing these animals differently we had um an old boy who was 14 went the other day to have an operation on his throat he had a little abscess in his throat a 14 year old sheep that's so awesome a sheep got to be 14 and and looking at even the drugs to anesthetize these sheep we're actually going into areas we haven't gone before because they've never had to do these things but actually well people are having them as pets and actually we're driving change there's so so much change happening I, I get so excited about the change. I'm brought back to the reality that I know animals are dying. But another quote my my mum gave me is, as a child when I was actually doing the you know the anti vivisection section. I was very angry. And you know is that that the 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 wisdom prayer. You know, um, God grant me the courage to change the things I can to ex uh the uh, the wisdom oh, oh courage to change the things I can the wisdom to accept that I can't. and So the serenity, that's it, the serenity. God give me the courage to change the thing I can, the serenity to accept the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that's is like, I, I cannot stop animals being killed at the moment as much as I, I wanted to stop, to accept that, but I'm doing what I can. Um, I'm making the biggest impact that I think I can for my animal friends. And a lot of it is even my personal apology for, for not knowing, for not getting on board quicker.
1: Absolutely. And how about Dominion?
0: It's, Dominion's actually, it's, it's great because very early on, even pre-Edgar's mission days, I got the very first um, video called Peaceable Kingdom. I don't think you even get it today. And I got our local community hall hired and we got all these people to come to, to watch Peaceable Kingdom and got vegan food and a lot of people were really moved. Uh, one of the local vets actually, he raced out crying um, halfway through and I ended up chasing him and um, he was really disturbed because he said, I'm a part of that. Like, oh, I'm a part of India. He was so upset. And I think, oh, it only happens in America. And I made it my pledge there that I was actually going to get the footage from Australia and show the public what's happened. I don't have to now because Dominion's done that. Dominion has shown the Australian experience that those things are happening right here, right now on our, on our watch. But we can change it.
1: Yeah, the, the Dominion is a, if you haven't seen Dominion, I would, again, highly recommend going out and watching it. We're in the pig barn here, guys. <laughs> you might be able to hear it's a pretty cool place. Um, I've got a fantastic view, and uh, the pigs have—they've been pretty, pretty. I think
0: they got upset when you heard you talking about Dominion. They get upset about that. Yeah, they yeah. know.
1: They know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Dominion, the spectrum of animals—I yes, saw it. Yes. I, I saw the first American screening, I believe, at the Worcester Veg Fest in Massachusetts, and I couldn't believe the spectrum of animals that they were showing. That mm. were taking advantage of where you know just using their bodies for for parts Mm. fur wool whatever it might be and um yeah i was blown away that that's my country you know that that's where i'm from yes and yeah it it definitely happens there too on and and sometimes it does feel like you
0: know two steps forward ten steps back and when we um we were speaking earlier uh, but before we started chatting um live um about you know we now have alpaca meat in Australia, like and, and if you've seen an alpaca, folks, there's not a lot of meat happening there, and and one of the reasons alpaca meat came up, they when alpacas came to the country, you know, several years ago, um, they were like in a niche market, you know, for the, for their fleece, um, their fiber, and it was a get rich quick scheme, and people started getting alpacas everywhere, and then we had this flood of alpacas, and what were you going to do with these alpacas? Because oh, let's start eating them, and and the poor old alpaca, like they're a really difficult animal to transport and and, and to slaughter, um, but. Uh, it's really sad it it's really sad these things are happening but i i take hope by telling the stories of these animals we can really encourage people to connect with them and see them not as the before of, of of meat or or wool but a living breathing being like the snake that day that desperately wanted to live and what right do i have to say well you're not going to when they're not not posing any threat to my health and safety the animal is not suffering. Why are we taking the lives of these animals?
1: Yeah, it's, that's the. I suppose that's the downside of the being a part of the movement. You are open to it. You are exposed to it. Mm. You're choosing to be exposed to it, um, and it can it can bring you down a little bit. Again, I think sanctuaries are a great place to come back yes, up again because yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful place to, yeah. to see these animals. These ones got out. These exactly. ones got out.
0: And the other exciting thing about sanctuaries, and I just love, every one of these animals here today, different circumstances have gotten here, but one thing unites them, and that is the power of kindness, that an individual human has seen this animal suffering and has said, what I choose to do next will determine whether that animal lives or dies. And I'm going to choose that animal lives. You know, Hamlet, the little pig that was just jumping up over there, chatting to us, he was set upon by pig hunting dogs. And the neighbor heard it. And he actually intervened. Two pig hunting dogs, like he took on two pig hunting dogs to save a pig that wasn't his pet, that was crying out for mercy. And he gave that animal mercy. Now, poor old Hamlet lost his, his ear in the process. But hey, he got delivered a sanctuary. And we tell that story of how an individual put their own comfort aside to actually save an animal. In that instant, that was the goodness of the human heart stepped in there to do that. Little Millie, the little goat that was cavorting around, was stuck in a drain. A member of the public heard her crying, thought it was a cat. Got the council workers, annoyed the hell out of the council workers till they came over and pulled the drain up to get the little goat out because they saw that animal suffering. And the tragedy for the millions of animals who are farmed for food and fibre every day is that people don't see the suffering. We don't walk through, that through supermarkets to get the little pristine packets. We don't do that.
1: Yeah, it's... I mean, as you were talking about before, like, just coming to the sanctuary, coming down um, the road along... Before we turned off to come down to Edgar's Mission, you know, there are cows in paddocks. Yes, so that's right. So I found it strange when I, when I spoke with Susie at Farm Sanctuary. The same thing. We're on our way to Farm Sanctuary in New York and you see the animals in the paddocks. It, it might look idyllic, and, uh, and you know nice but in actual fact you know where they end up so I always find it crazy that you can see that on your way to such a peaceful place um, but you know where unfortunately those animals uh, are going to end up the other point I really liked is the, the vet connection vets are so used to caring for our companion animals um but when they get exposed to caring for for farmed animals, I think it definitely broadens their uh, their mind in in terms of um, you know how these animals are, how what their nature is like, and yeah, just extending their compassion to uh, to other animals and not just our regular companion animals
0: oh that's exactly right as a child i i wanted to be a vet i really wanted to be a vet. i loved animals and my parents divorced when i was very young and my life took a turn that I didn't see coming and I, I didn't become a vet but I'm actually really glad I didn't become a vet we, we have lots of people doing vets we don't have many people running not for profit farm, farm sanctuary so it, it's good and I think even you know, this, this sanctuary here as you said like everyone around us is farming animals for, for profit yet you have this little sanctuary, this little beacon of hope this facility that we are today it used to be a thoroughbred breeding facility now isn't that great, things can change this used to be a bleak place for animals now it's a reason for hope Things can change.
1: Absolutely. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had at Edgar's Mission? I know you've had two different locations. Um, we live in a, you know, a dry, a dry place in Australia. Um what are some of the biggest challenges you've experienced? The
0: biggest challenge actually is actually running the sanctuary, having the staff and volunteers to run the sanctuary. Like lots of people love animals, care about animals, support Edgar's mission, but it takes a lot of hard work. But before you came to been cleaning chicken houses uh, and that work still has to get done. It, it's not glamorous work. It's not pretty work. It's got to be done on days when it's 40 degrees hot or when it's like minus two degrees cold, that work still has to be done. That's been the biggest challenge that actually making sure these animals are looked after and they don't just have lives they have lives worth living that's one of the things that I'm adamant about here at Edgar's mission that they have lives worth living If people say oh you've got some spare paddocks over there you could put some more animals but it's very important that we rest the pastures that we actually were good stewards to the land and we don't just flog the land and just run animals on it all the time we have to be good stewards to the land as well and make sure the animals actually have an interesting life one of the, the challenges when we came here I wanted the animals to get up and to say what am I gonna do today I'm in this tiny little paddock and it's even working with our agronomist who's working with the pastures. Um, he actually said in one of his early reports, I- I've never dealt with animals in the non-production setting. Like he, they have like smaller pastures where you can actually rotate the paddocks through. But I said, no, I want big pastures. I want the animals to go from one to wherever they want to go. It's going to be boring to actually think about an animal being bored. Like even that is actually, you know, getting people starting to think about, well, what this is what we want the property to be for these animals, to have these really interesting, like we made a mountain, heaven forbid, for the goats. I just <laughs> love our mountain. They'll all be sunning themselves on it now. It's awesome.
1: I love goats. I've got actually got a pair of goat socks. I should have worn them today. Oh. I'm wearing dog dogs, socks today. Yeah. Um, but having heard all of this, you know, if someone was looking to change their mind, I suppose the the first place they can go to is their plate. And I know you guys have an awesome book that can help with (laughs) recipes. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about the cookbook?
0: Um, Thank you. It's Cooking with Kindness and, and Rest Easy Folks no recipes from me in there, okay? So you, th- you can go out and buy the <laughs> book and know it's going to be damn awesome because you don't want to be cooking baked beans or toast and Vegemite. Um, and th- the book is a real a testament to the power of kindness. So like People came on board from everywhere to help make the book possible. Chefs throughout Australia donated vegan recipes to, to go in the book, this whole variety of delicious food. You don't have to eat tofu raw <laughs> or horrible dodgy powdered milk and all these different delicious foods because people often think, and I thought too when I became a, a vegan, um, I was going to be eating like. Lettuce list, and I hated lettuce. And well, this is going to go down well. But there's so many, so many wonderful foods and flavors in there that I never imagined. It just sends me dizzy with delight because I love food. <laughs> and that's right. Ed and I had that in common. We both love food, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't know when we should stop. Um, but the, the cookbook is great, and there's lots of good cookbooks. Don't buy mine. And actually, so even if get the library to get it in like libraries are great communal places for people to go for books and resources and other people can share it as well so get your library to get it in if you you can't afford it or want to actually share the kindness around as well
1: that's a fantastic idea i we should go to our local library get it in i think that's that's an awesome idea one thing we did do uh they've got these little free libraries in some communities they'll be on the street. Um so if you you know if you have one of those free libraries around your local community and can go and purchase the copy of Cooking for Kindness put it in the free public library people are a- able to come and you know borrow it bring it back uh, as they please. Oh that's awesome. So I, I like that idea as well. Um I suppose one last thing before we before we um you know let you go back to work cleaning the chicken okay the chicken coops and all the other jobs that you've you've got around the farm is if people did want to come and visit how do they go about doing that
0: oh thank you yeah cuz we, we're not open all the time we're we're very particular we don't just have people wander around the farm our security of animals is paramount and we also want to take people on a journey so we can introduce them to the animals and tell their individual stories so we do hold tours uh generally fridays saturdays and sundays and they can just jump on our website edgarsmission.org.au book a tour there are free tours there's a premium tour which is a lot smaller and you get to a few more uh cool things but we do have free tours and that's something that i'm adamant about we'll always be free to the public to come and, and visit the sanctuary and we've actually got tiny houses that we've actually just just started as well so people are able to come and stay here in our awesome tiny houses and and that looks over our section of the sanctuary called Gladville which is named after our first goat and it's a geriatric section of our farm where we have our old sheep and goats and it's, it's just beautiful I actually want to go and stay there
1: <laughs> we saw the tiny houses yeah. on the way in they yeah. look they look really really nice yeah. it, um we, we're quite interested in tiny houses ourselves so yeah,
0: they're amazing and that, even the tiny houses again are, a testament to the power of kindness i was talking to one of our volunteers one day and i was telling them how i had this idea, i want get, to get some tiny houses and do some fundraising said, i'll buy them for you i said what they bought the tiny houses for us yeah they bought the tiny houses like how cool is that it's it's amazing how people want to help like when they actually see you doing good things they they want to help they want to help it, it's really lovely
1: that is amazing. Yeah. That is cool. Lastly, where can we find you online uh, and how can we donate if we, if we did want uh, oh, to donate to the sanctuary?
0: That, that's awesome. Um, edgarsmission.org.au and the tab at the top, bar, uh, donate there. You can become a monthly donor or a one-off donor. There's lots of things you can do. There's best buddies and merchandise and all those other sorts of things. And that, I hope the guys in the office listen, because actually I flogged something. <laughs> I wake get into trouble. You never, you never pushed anything. So there, thank you for the segue. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, Pam. I really, really enjoyed today's podcast episode. I think this is probably my favorite setting for actually sitting down and, and recording. <laughs> Just to give you guys a picture, we are in the pig barn here at Edgar's Mission. We're sitting on a couple of buckets <laughs> and we're out side looking over the farm it's it's a beautiful place i've had a guest producer ruby (laughs) anna as always but ruby is here today she's the tour guide the kelpie here at edgar's mission she's beautiful so thank you so much for your time thank you for sharing your story and yeah i can't wait to just continue watching this this place grow and yeah, I love, I love the Instagram account as well. It's a, it's a great place to, to oh, feel good you. about animals. So
0: Well, I, I thank you for the opportunity and I thank you both sincerely for what you're doing for animals. There are so many people doing so many awesome things for animals. I think it's a very exciting time to be alive if you care about animals.
1: Agreed. Thank you, Pam. Ciao. Thank you. What's up, guys? We're here at the end of another Veg Talk episode. This was number 31. So thanks again for tuning in. I love bringing you these shows and learning from these amazing people. I hope you are also getting something valuable out of each and every episode. Pam has had an amazing life and to see what she and the Edgar's Mission team have created was truly an amazing experience. To see these animals so happy and to have a home where they are loved and treated with kindness is what they deserve. After the show, we headed to a local bakery who have added vegan pies to their menu funnily enough the bakery was called the Aspie not after the guy that you're probably thinking of James Aspie Uh, but this kind of thing is something driven by Edgar's mission and the demand from the people who come to visit so it's really awesome to see the impact they're having on the local area uh, that surrounds the sanctuary and the local businesses also embracing uh, you know some wider options on their menu. If you have any questions, please jump on Instagram and search for VegTalk. Again, that's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. Drop me a message. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing your feedback and what you got out of the episodes. Don't forget to leave a review and rating for the show. Please don't underestimate the small gestures that add up to helping the show. It really does not go unnoticed uh, and it gets stories like Pans to a much larger audience around the world. Next week, we are taking the pod to Bali, Indonesia for a chat with co-owners of Kind Cafe and Give Cafe, Lauren and Corinne. Uh, They're doing amazing work, amazing things, and it's unlikely you'll meet two more down-to-earth humans. I'll see you all next week for another episode. Until then, keep it plant-based, people.